This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you all for coming. Give yourself a round of applause. Why not? Thank you for coming out here. I appreciate it. It's good to see you all, and I hope we all have a Shana Tova Masuka. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing your friends. Please bring more. We love people. We love friends. We love everybody here. I want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Bethany Hudam Partners Detroit for putting on this beautiful Lunch Learn every single week. And I want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with over a quarter of a million hours of Jewish content. You go give that a shot, okay? You like a challenge? Challenge yourself to finish the Torah Anytime content. Alrighty? If you do that, you come back here, you get lifetime free Coke Zero, okay? And uh, if you are watching this right now on Torah Anytime, feel free to hit the follow button, and this way you'll get notified when we post a new class. Feel free to share it if you find it meaningful. Let, let's get started. There's a new phenomenon that's been brewing in the world for nigh about a year now. I like using the word nigh, N-I-G-H. It's been brewing for about a year now. This phenomenon is called, because the way these phenomenons work is every time you think the world is just pretty much flat out crazy, right? And you think, wow, what we need right now, in Rosh Hashanah we daven, v'simloch atal levadecha al ma'asecha. We say, Hashem, please, you rule over your creatures, because we're not doing a good job managing ourselves. We need some godly insight. We need some divine assistance in the ruling department, in the kingship department. But just when you think we've gotten to like a, a new low in human behavior, they, they come up with new terms. They make up new things, new phrases, new ideologies, new terms. Now, there's been so many of them that have been bandied about this past year. You don't know which one I'm referring to, but here's the one I'm talking about. It's called quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. What is that all about? Okay, so many, many hundreds and probably thousands of articles have been written about quiet quitting. So I'm going to start off with the most generous version of quiet quitting as an article in the Atlantic magazine described it. It says, the first thing you need to know about quiet quitting is that it's not actually quitting. Instead, the quitter keeps their job and chooses to only do the bare minimum rather than go above and beyond. Now, that's a very charitable description of quiet quitting. In that description, the quiet quitter just says, you know what, I can't, my, the company doesn't care about me, my phone is off at 5 p.m., don't reach out to me on the weekends, if you give me jobs that are not going to be done in time, I just won't do them, I'll complete them in, a, in, in whatever I get to do while I'm at my job from 9 to 5 and that's it. I'm just I'm not doing anything more. Even if you give me if you give me a job that's not specifically mentioned in my contract, I'm not doing it. That's the most generous version of quiet quitting. Then there are the other versions. The other versions of quiet quitting is people who go to work every day, except for they don't really work every day. They do more play. This is like a Dr. Seuss book. I go to work every day, all I do is sit and play. <laughs> when my boss comes around, I type so fast <laughs> so I can keep my job until the very last. I don't know. <laughs> so basically, there we go, right, Dr. Seuss on the spot. 
So that's kind of what quiet quitting is all about. Like, they don't do their job. They don't get stuff done. And there's videos, by the way. There are videos. People used to post videos boasting about their quiet quitting. And you'd see them, and they'd you spend your day on the phone, spend your day doing your shopping on Amazon, or checking out the latest on Rent the One Runway, and you're just going out and to check out what's, what's going on in the important world of celebrities over on TMZ.com. Right? Spend the whole day immersed in all these important things. Whenever your boss walks by, you quickly start typing on the computer or you open up that Excel file that you have on the other page. That's what quiet quitting is. Now, which one is it more? Is it more just people just doing what they're hired to do and nothing else, not willing to go above and beyond the bare minimums? Or is it people not even doing the bare minimum? So here's a little stat that I'll tell you. Worker productivity in the last couple of years has been at the lowest it's been since they started tracking worker productivity in 1948. So if I had to guess, are people just doing the bare minimum or are people not even really doing the bare minimum? And I see that worker productivity is the lowest it's been since 1948. I would guess, I would venture to guess that people are not doing their jobs. Now, they're not quitting, mind you, because then they don't get a paycheck. They're quiet quitting. Now, you may think, people talk about it, but it's really rare. It's just a few crazy people out there posting videos. Well, Gallup, you guys all have heard of Gallup. Gallup is one of the most respected pollsters in the world. And in June of 2023... They did a global workforce poll. They interviewed hundreds of thousands of people in all kinds of professions all over the world. What percentage of people do you think said in their Gallup poll that they're engaged in some form of quiet quitting? 65. 65%. Hey, not 80%? Wow, okay, you guys... The real answer is 59%, which is crazy. 59% is almost 6 out of every 10 workers say that they're engaged in some form of quiet quitting. How do you think stuff is supposed to get done if more than 50% of your workforce is quiet quitting? Now, you would say, well, at least, you know what, it's only in the office and these companies that could just fire them, which, by the way, they have been. Companies have been firing, laying people off by the tens of thousands because they've got all this workforce and they're not getting any productivity. But here's the thing. Quiet quitting bleeds into other areas of life. I want to read to you an article from an ABC news report. It's a term that's become popular in the workplace, but it seems like many people are now quiet quitting from their spouses as well. (laughs) Quiet quitting from their spouses. I'm just not going to put in the effort. I'll do the bare minimum to hold off that bill of divorce. And I don't even have to really work so hard because divorce is expensive. So my spouse is not really probably going to divorce me unless I stab him in the eye every morning. So I'm just doing my bare minimum. I'm quiet quitting on my marriage. I'm just not not putting the effort in. I'm done. Maybe I cared at some point. I don't care. I would assume that there's also quiet quitting going on with parents. I'm just not going to put in that effort for my kids. These kids are a pain. I didn't sign up for this. 
When I signed up, I didn't realize how difficult they were going to be. I'm done. I come home. Don't ask me to parent. I worked the whole day, mind you. He sat the whole day and went shopping and played video games and then pretended to work. And now he comes out and he's like, I'm exhausted. I worked the whole day. I can't take care of these kids. I'm quiet quitting on my kids. Now, of course, the proper term for quiet quitting, the, the term quiet quitting is a weird term. We have this phenomenon today where we make up words and phrases that make things sound like it's almost laudable, like it's almost a praiseworthy thing. They're quiet quitting. No! You know what we call that? It's called stealing. You get paid for a job. You show up and you don't do that job You're not some kind of warrior, quiet quitting, fighting back against corporate overreach. You are a ganif. You're a thief. You're taking home a salary and you're not working all day long. You're a thief. The Masil Sharm spells it out clearly. The Masil Sharm is the path of the just, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He says, when you're hired for the day, you're hired for the day. You're not hired to take a 20-minute personal phone call in the middle of the day. And you're certainly not hired to be playing Candy Crush for an hour and a half. And the fact that it's moving into marriages, into parenting, is not a surprise. Because what you do is what you become, and what you become is in all areas of life. So if you do thievery in this area of life, it's going to bleed over to other areas of life too. If you're a a thief at work, not putting in the effort, you're going to steal from your spouse too. You're not stealing money from them, but you're stealing the effort you committed to putting in when you stood at that altar. You're stealing from your children the effort you committed to putting in by having those children. You know, people say, when I was in high school, I was on a huge anti- cheating crusade right unfortunately a lot of people in high school commit something known as academic cheating they cheat on the test they get the test from the teacher's desk the teacher doesn't realize that that same lock he's been using for 45 years every senior class already has and they've given out the the key whatever it is all the different ways that people cheat on their on their test they they bring in there's a million ways to cheat so i used to always be very vehemently against it and sometimes people would say to me, can you do me a favor? Can I get a, just a water bottle, please? Is that possible, someone? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, here we go. No, he went to go get one. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Look at your Zoom, lady. Oh, okay. I'm in the middle of a class, so I'm, gonna, I'm glad to see my daughter there, but I'm going to mute you guys. <laughs> okay. There's my daughter from seminary. She's on the Zoom right now. Baruch Hashem. There we go. No. <laughs> this is a class. This is not time for you to say hello to my daughter or my mother. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, when I was in high school, I used to like, really be like, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a crusade against cheating. And people would say, what's the big deal? And I'd say, you know what the big deal is? If, you're, if you teach yourself to be a ganif, even if you're doing it for your... Geometry class, big deal. How's that going to affect your life later on? It's going to affect your life because you were a ganif. That's how. Not because geometry makes a difference. If you're a little bit off on your sine, cosine, and tangent, 
You're going to make it through life okay if you forgot your Sokotoa. If you're not so great at your A squared plus B squared equals C squared, you'll make it through life fine. But if you teach yourself to be a thief, you're going to be a thief. And then you say, what's the big deal if I just take from this company? They have so many pens. Maybe I'll just bring some pens home. And then maybe just some paper, some cooking supplies, <laughs> some meat from the refrigerator. <laughs> now, when we hear about quiet quitting, I hope you're probably all feeling pretty comfortable because you're like, thank God that's not me. These crazy people today. Wow, quiet quitting. It's Meshuggah. They're crazy. What are they doing? We, of course, we live on a different standard. We don't live like this. We don't do like this. We don't play the games they play outside. Quiet quitting has nothing to do with you, right? Or does it? Are you doing all that you were hired to do? You were hired by God. I was hired by God. He gave me a job, and the paycheck is called life. Some people get paid every two weeks. Some people get paid once a month. Some people get paid twice a month. Some people get paid every day. I'm a day laborer. If I wake up in the morning, it means God hired me for today. If I don't wake up, my contract expired. And what does God want of me? Well, He's given me a lot of talents. He's given you a lot of talents. He's given you an incredible brain. He's given you a body with a heart that pumps millions and millions of times without stopping for a tune-up. He's given you a home and a car and clothing. He's given you friends and associates. He's given you the ability to be kind and shine and be sanctified and beautiful. He's even implanted in your head the thoughts, maybe I should start cleaning up my language. Maybe I should start... I can't, can't talk gossip anymore all day to my friends. Maybe he's given you the thought, I should really go for more... I should go to show more. I should go to services more. He's given, he's given you everything. He's given you the, the capabilities and the body and the health and the ability to do it. And he's given you the ideas even. He sends little messages to your neshama that suddenly in the middle of the day you're like, oh, I really should start going to show more. On Shabbos, I should go. Yeah, it's been a while. And if you're going to show every week, maybe he gives you a message that says, I should actually think about what I'm reading over there. It's been a while. Are we, am I doing everything I was hired to do? Or am I quiet quitting on God? Am I just sometimes putting in the bare minimum? Am I skating by? Am I just spending most of my year doing nothing and then when the high holidays come and it's like, uh oh, the manager's walking into the room, I pull up my Excel file and I start working, clacking away quickly on the keyboard. Am I doing my best as a spouse? Am I doing my best as a parent? Am I doing my best as a child? Am I doing a, my best as a community member? Am I, doing my, am I giving it my best or am I quiet quitting too? I'll do what I got to do, but hey, don't, don't expect too much of me, okay? Easy. Ease on up. I still haven't really fully recovered from, from the whole... Pandemic. <laughs> it's always whenever you need. When all else fails, pull out the pandemic. <laughs> I'm just not ready yet. <laughs> but
How about our Shabbos? Is our Shabbos as beautiful and as holy as it should be? Is our Shabbos table as beautiful and as holy as it should be? How often have I, do I think about how can I make my Shabbos more beautiful, more rarefied, more holy? Now Rosh Hashanah is the day where we all get to have a one-on-one conversation with God. It's the day all the people in the world go before him one at a time. And he's going to ask us for a report. Tell me how you did this year. And guess what he's not going to ask you. Or it'll be a, a small line item. Like, what did you do? What he's going to ask you much more about is what was your productivity? Don't give me a list of everything you did. Give me a list of what percentage productive were you this year at using all the things that I gave you. I gave you the corporate car and I gave you the deluxe upgraded body. If you're able to, you're, you, got, you, you got the seeing and color package, right? Oh, wow. You got, so you got, we, you got the seeing and color package. You got the breathing in of enough oxygen package. You've got the body that does the self-cleaning, right? You don't have to go inside and clean all your cells. You just, your body takes care of that and sends out all the packages at the end of the night. Oh, you've got the self-cleaning package. You've got the full-color vision package. You, did you get the comfortable house package? You even got the comfortable house... How'd you do? I gave you everything. I gave you it all. So that's going to be our conversation. And I can tell you that when I look at my years in my life, there were years in my life where I was quiet quitting for a couple years at a time. And there are days in this past year that I was, I was quiet quitting. You guys, I don't know. I hope you all were fully productive. But I can tell you, I, I, there were days this past year that I was just quiet quitting. I was just not willing to give it my... Not even not give it my all. Not even give it my best efforts. Not even give it 50%. Just not willing to push myself any further. Just not willing to put in the effort to be the best father I could be. Just not willing to put in the best effort to be the best husband or the best yid. My father waits for me in heaven every single day. And there were times where days went by where I didn't speak to him. I may have talked to him. My mouth was moving. But I wasn't really connecting with him. It's, like, it's almost like you call your father and you hope the voicemail picks up. You usually leave a message. You know, like your prayer. Like Hopefully I'll get through this as fast as I can. It's no coincidence that right now quiet quitting is in the, is in the conversation. We're supposed to learn from whatever's going on out there. And it's a good thing to ask ourselves. Comes Rosh Hashanah. When, when we quietly quit, who, hurt, who gets hurt the most? If you have a workforce where 59% of your workers are quietly quitting, yeah, your, your production is going to go way down. And your worker productivity is going to go way down. And your profits are going to go way down as a corporation. But in life, if we're quietly quitting... God gave us 80, 90, 100 years and a job and 
we don't fulfill, we don't do the extraordinary things we're meant to do, we, we're the ones who suffer. How do we suffer? Let's talk about that for a moment. There's a sefer called Lave Eliyahu. A book called Lave Eliyahu written by Rev. Elia Lopian. Rev. Elia was born in Poland. He served as the Rosh Yeshiva, the Dean, and the Mashkiach, the spiritual guide of a Yeshiva called Eitz Chaim for 22 years, from 28 to 50. Then he moved to Israel, where the saintly Chazonish encouraged him to become a Mashkiach in a place called Zichron Yaakov, and later Kfar Hasidim, different places. He was an electrifying force in what's called the Olam HaMusr, the world of character development, until he passed away at the age of 94 in the year 1970. He has a piece on Parshas Kisavo, the Torah portion that we read a few weeks ago. And if you remember that week, if you were here, we talked about there was like this really dark part of the Parsha where it talks about the some of the terrible things that are going to happen to the Jewish people. And at the end of all these terrible things, Hashem says, you know why this is happening? Tachas asher lo avarata es Hashem elokecha besimcha uvetuv levav. It wasn't because you didn't serve God. It's because you didn't serve God with joy. What does that mean exactly? Now, it was a heavy piece. And if you'd like a little bit of fire and brimstone, go find yourself the Lev Eliyahu on the verse, Read the whole thing. Definitely will keep you up at night. But, here's what I want to talk about. He says, such a beautiful idea, actually. The second part. He says like this, How do you, What's the recipe for making humans? We have a recipe for making cakes. You know, you got uh, sugar, flour, some baking soda, cocoa, eggs, eggs, thank you, oil, right? You want to get a little funky, throw a little bit of cinnamon in there. You want to give it a funkier, a little bit of cayenne pepper in your chocolate cake. For real? That's a real thing? Yeah? Okay. (laughs) That's how you make a chocolate cake. How do you make a human? Well, we know, because the Torah lays out the recipe for human making. Hashem actually embarked on this process called Let's Make a Human. And He did it on a Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, 5,784 years ago, God said, Let's make a human. And He did. Well, what were the ingredients? Well, you take a little bit of dirt, you blow it into it a little bit of a neshama. Boom! There's Adam! What's up? How you guys doing? There was no one to talk to at the time. In any case, so, how do you make a human? A little bit of dirt. A little bit of neshama. Where does the neshama come from? Of course, God blows into Adam and neshama. And the Zohar famously says, when you blow something into somebody, you're blowing from what's inside of you. If I want to blow out right now, I'm blowing out from what's within me. God blows from within him. A little bit of godliness. So what is a human made up of? A human made up of dirt and godliness. And this is what it looks like. This is the combination of dirt and godliness. Now, here's the amazing thing, guys. This is crazy what Revelia says, uh, says over here. And I'm going to use a little bit more modern technology to make it more understandable. The soul has five components. Five components. They're called nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, yechida. What do they mean? That's for our Kabbalah 102 class, and that's not until next winter. 
Okay? But there are five levels of the soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. They go from the most coarse, the one that's most closely related to the dirt, to Yechida, the one that's like Yechid, like oneness with God. Now, which one do we get our energy from? Which one do we get our energy from? The answer is, wherever you choose to plug your plug into before you go to bed at night. You could choose to plug your plug into the dirt, and you'll wake up the next day with energy. You could choose, and not just at night, during the day, you could choose to keep your charger plugged into the dirt, or you could keep your charger plugged into God. How do I know which one you plugged into? All I got to see is what is animating you. Right? So if you're animated by an amazing Torah idea, if you're animated by a great prayer, if you're animated by a beautiful song of connection to God, if you're animated by lighting the menorah, I know that you must be plugging into the godly side. If you're animated by this amazing new show, right, Desperate Housewives of New Orleans. There's a whole new one. It's so exciting. If you're, if, if, if you're so excited because, uh, you know, Kate Spade came out with a new handbag and it's a limited edition and you snagged one because you know somebody at the mall. If you're so excited because you just had a burger that's got, it's got like 17 layers and every one of them has different flavors and it's unbelievable, you're, you're plugging into the ground because that's where the burgers come from. <laughs> Now, by the way, I think a lot of us kind of have multiple things plugged in. I can tell you, I, I like a good burger. I like a good Vartora. I'm trying to get my plug plugged notched higher, but for the meantime, I, I, I do enjoy a good burger. And I enjoy a great Vartora. Which one gets me more excited? Depends on the day. So if you want to know where somebody is, where their neshama is, look at what excites them. Look at what charges them. There are people who will stay up and sleep outside for three days outside of a theater when Star Wars comes out with their next pre-prequel to be the first online at 12 o'clock when the theater opens up or the Harry Potter. That's obviously what, makes, what moves you. I know where you're plugged in. I know what gives you energy. There are people that will stay up the whole night Shavuos learning Torah and then stay up the whole night the next night too because we can. It's also Shavuos. Let's do it again. Amazing. I know where they're plugged in. I know what gives them energy. You want to understand what gives somebody, where they're plugged in, look at what gives them energy. But here, Rebbe Elia says something fascinating. This is unbelievable, guys. There's another barometer that you can use. Look at how happy they are. Look at how happy they are. Not excited, because you can get excited for a good burger. I don't know anybody whose life was happy because of a good burger. If you're plugging in on high, what does it say about godliness? It says, Oz v'chedva b'mkomo. It says in the verse, in Chronicles 1, chapter 16, verse 26, Divrei hayamim, Aleph, Tes Zion, Chavav, Oz v'chedva b'mkomo. There's great strength and great joy in God's place. What else does it say? It says in the book of Psalms, chapter 19, verse 9, Pekude Hashem Yesharim 
The commands of God are straight. They fill the heart with joy. There's a man in the city who is a man of exceeding, exceeding, exceedingly great Torah and service of God heights. The man is always beaming. There is such joy on his face. He's just, you see, it's just, it, it emanates outward from him. And he has such energy. He's in, probably in mid-70s, but he's always filled with energy. He walks. He walks quickly. He talks. He's got a fire. He's got a bren, they say in Yiddish. He's alive. He's, he's vivacious. People, when he walks, people crowd around him because they want to plug into him. By plugging into him, they get a little bit of his energy. And his energy is always como. He's plugged in on high and he's filled with strength. He's got such energy. I've never seen him tired. Such energy and such joy. On the other hand, if you know anybody who's constantly running after the latest and greatest, this new, this new restaurant that we got to try, and this new watch that came out from this company, and this new scotch that came out from that company, and this new this, and this new that, and all they care about is the physical things. Generally, they're not happy, unfortunately. We have a rule. Yeshlo Mona wrote some asylum. If you have 100, you want 200. When your enjoyment comes from stuff, whatever you have is never enough. You get this new car, but you really want oh, that new car. It's never, ever enough. If you get your joy from stuff, I don't know anybody who gets their joy from stuff and he said, I'm good now. I love designer clothing, but I'm good now. I got all that I need. I'll be good for the next five years. I'm going to let the fall and winter and spring seasons for 2025, 6, 7, 8, 9 go by before I have to buy any new clothing because I've got all that I need. I don't know anybody who said that ever. <laughs> There's actually a verse in Proverbs, when a person is running after just physical things, it brings you to a place of loneliness because everyone has different taivas, everyone has different desires. So you want this thing, and he wants this thing, and it just becomes like each one is running off to their own little selfish corner to get whatever they can get out of the world, whatever stuff they can get. So how do we know if a person is plugging it up or plugging it down, plugging into the earth or plugging into the godliness? Look at how happy they are. Does joy emanate from their faces? Are they happy? The more you're connected to God, the happier you're going to be. Because that's what God's abode is filled with. Oiz vechedva vimkomo. Strength and joy in His place. This Rosh Hashanah, what does God want from you? He just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy. I'm a parent. What do I want from my kids? They should be happy. Now, of course, I know that they're going to be the happiest when they're being their best. They're, the more they're going to be plugged in on high, the happier they're going to be. So that's what I want to see from them. But what does every parent want to see the joy of their children? What does God want to see from us? The joy of us. We're His children. 
So if you want to see, and even you could have two people who are doing the same mitzvah. They're both davening. And they're both in shul at services. One is plugged in over here, and you could see he's there. He's fully engaged in the prayer. He's there. And one is plugged in there, and he's in the middle of the service. He's pulling out his phone and flipping through his, his phone in the middle of services. Because he doesn't get he doesn't get nourishment from up there. That's what prayer is like. This kind of an experience. You're talking to God. You're connecting. But if you don't, if your charger is plugged in here, you got to get your energy from the the earth. So you got to quickly let me see how fast I can scroll during davening. How many how how many WhatsApp messages can I respond to before the rabbi starts walking around and then I quickly put it back in my pocket and pretend like the rabbi didn't see. <laughs> Okay, so if you want to know, what does God say? I'm not disappointed that you didn't serve me. I'm disappointed you didn't serve me with joy. Think about a relationship between a husband and a wife. Does, does, does a wife just want her husband to do stuff for her? Or does a wife want her husband to love doing stuff for her? Does... does does a husband want his wife to just do things for her? Because like, okay, well, you, you went to work today, so I made you dinner. Does a husband want a wife who is looking forward to doing something for her husband? God's the same way. So how do I add joy? Let's say you say to me, but Rabbi, i got to be honest with you, I don't enjoy services. I don't enjoy the sukkah. It's cold. I don't enjoy the shofar. It's too loud. Ah, There's a guy actually who sent me an entire... Uh, he was some sort of electrical engineer and he sent me a whole thing how the, the shofar... Like they figured out that the best resonance is like 570 megahertz. I don't know much about audio stuff. But they've discovered that the most discordant, jarring resonance to the human ear is like 570 megahertz. That's why a lot of alarm clocks have the same eh, eh. And the shofar, they actually did, it's like, it's like 560. It's like right around there. It's supposed to wake you up. It's supposed to be discordant a little bit. I don't want to call my dad. I don't want to give charity. I don't enjoy giving charity, Rabbi. What do you want from me? What do you do to increase joy? Okay, so number one. I'm going to give you three tips first, then we'll do another tip or, th- or two. Idea number one. Talk about how excited you are to do the mitzvah. Idea number two. Talk about how excited you are to do the mitzvah. <laughs> Idea number three. Talk about how excited you are to do the mitzvah. But Rabbi, I just told you I'm not excited to do the mitzvah. And here's where I teach you a special cool thing. A power that you didn't know that you have. God created the world with words. God said, let there be light. God said, let the vegetation sprout. God said, let the heavens be filled with luminaries. God said, let the sea fill with fish and the skies with fowl. God said, let animals sprout forth on the land. And then at the end of creating all this amazing stuff, God created humans. The only difference is is that God created us in His image. 
So let's do some math. God creates with speech. You're created in God's image. Hence, you create with speech. You create your own realities. A person says, oh, I hate Shabbos, I can't do anything. Say that all the time and you'll create that reality. You'll hate Shabbos because you can't do anything. Or you say, I love Shabbos. I'm so free of all that stuff from the world. Say that enough times and you'll create that reality. You'll love Shabbos. Sukkah. Oh, I hate sukkahs. It's so cold out there. That will be your reality because you get to create with your words. Or, oh, I love sukkahs. We go outside, it's crisp, we come out bundled up, and we're sitting in God's loving embrace. The Kabbalists tell us the sukkah is like God's loving embrace. What could be better than that? Say that. you got that reality created for you. It's unbelievable. You know, there was a series of books that came out a few years ago. Some of you may have heard of these books. There was a, book of, a series of seven books called Harry Potter. <laughs> now, Harry Potter was a whole magical world. Now, let me teach you a little bit in case you didn't read any of the books. In the magical world, there are these things that you can say, these chants that you say, and things happen. So, for example, you say, Wingardium Leviosa. No, no, sorry. Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> and you can lift things up off the table. Unbelievable. All you got to do, Wingardium Leviosa. And you say, Asio, and things come to you. And you say, Lumos, and the light goes on. Oh, amazing. Isn't that crazy? Don't you wish you were magical? You are magical. You get to say things too, and they become reality. Someone says to you, how are you doing today? Like, ah, oh, it's so cold outside. Or, oh, I don't know, I'm getting the sniffles. How are you doing today? I don't know, man. It's crazy out there. That's your reality. Boom. Magical, like that, you created that reality. Here's another one. How are you doing today? Above average. How are you doing today? Huh, if I was doing any better, I'd probably be doing something illegal. How are you doing today? Amazing, how about you? How are you doing today? I'm doing as good as you're looking, that means I'm doing fine. <laughs> Say whatever you want, and it becomes true. You guys all have magical powers. Hashem gave it to you when He created you in His image. You want to be joyful in the doing of mitzvahs? Talk about it. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, so many people are coming for Pesach Seder. I, I get so, I get so f- stressed out. Say that and it becomes true. Or you say, I can't wait for the Pesach Seder. Everyone's coming together. I'm working so hard to get all the food. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. You literally, it's, it's all in your hands. Rosh Hashanah. Hashem doesn't want you to quiet quit. Quiet quitting means you've pretty much given up on life. You've given up on spirituality. You've given up on a relationship with Him. You'll do your bare minimum. Hashem wants you to be enthusiastically engaged. I like quiet quitting has that alliteration, you know, QQ. God wants you to be enthusiastically engaged. And how do you do that? By creating that reality, by talking about it. Let me give you another idea. So first, three ideas. We'll just talk about how amazing it is. And the reason why it's so many is because 
The more you talk about it, the better it gets. I'm t- by the way, test this out. By, like, don't, don't trust me. Like I say about Torah anytime. Don't trust me. Go verify it. Go verify for yourself. Start, when people ask you how you're doing, say, I'm doing amazing. How are you? See how your life changed. I dare you. I dare you to do it. And I, uh, if you do it, I would beg of you to come back and tell me how it went because I'd love to hear. You know, it's, it's amazing because by the, here's another cool thing to think about. You not only create a better system for yourself, you create a better world around you. If you're the kind of person people say, how are you doing? And the guy says, oh, above average, amazing, how are you? No one wants to respond to that like, uh, I'm doing terrible. So if someone, says, if, you, if, you, if someone says to you, how are you doing? And they say, I'm doing amazing, how are you? Like, I'm doing great too, thank you for asking. Okay? Then, for example, let's say for example, let's say you say to the guy, oh my gosh, I heard the most amazing story. I was at a class from Rabbi Burnham today. Let me share the story with you. And you share the story and you, you're lit up. You're enthusiastically engaged when you're telling the story. Now that becomes what you do around people. Now what happens when people see you before, as you even start walking up, they start to smile because you're a smiley person. You're a happy person. The energy you give off is happy. When you walk up to people, they're already in a better mood because they know that it's always feel good around, this per- around you. And what do they talk about? If they know all you want to hear is a, a good word, a Dvar Torah, a kind word, a story, something, that's what they're going to say because they know that you're not an address for like, oh, did you hear? Yeah, I heard... Uh, I heard the Goldsteins are getting divorced. You wouldn't, you, oh, you, didn't, you don't know what he did? They know that you're not an address for that? Because you never talk about that. And all you talk about is, oh, I saw this amazing thing, and this guy did such an amazing thing. They know that you're, only, you're an address for good stuff. So they respond that way. So what ends up happening is, anybody you talk to is going to talk about good things. Anyone you can talk to is going to be excited, because you're excited. You give them that energy. And then you walk around the world, you're like, the world is amazing. And, and then you have the other person who's always dour, always sour, always critical. Anytime anyone says, how are you doing? Oh, man. New day, same old garbage. How about you? Yeah, man. It's terrible. The world's crazy, man. Yeah, I know. You see what's going on today in the news? I know, the whole world's falling apart. And then, you, do you hear what happened to Goldstein? You heard they're getting divorced. You didn't hear about Mr. Gold? And then... When he has some juicy information, he brings it to you. So you walk around the world, you think everyone's miserable. You think everyone is angry and upset and talks bad about people. You're both living in the same neighborhood. (laughs) You're even meeting the same people. You just have different experiences because the vibe you put out is the vibe you get back. It's amazing. You hear what I'm saying? Like You really create a world around you. You create a bubble around you of positivity or a bubble around you of negativity. Another very important lesson. If you want to enjoy any mitzvah, make sure you don't come skidding into it. When you come running into buildings or things, you get hurt. If you come running into Shabbos, and you're never ready, then Shabbos Friday afternoon, you're like, Chani, get out of the shower, okay? It's 20 minutes to Shabbos. Now! No, now! How long are you going to be in there? Pesach, you're like, you're never ready on time. You're always like, look, if you are you cooking a big Seder meal? 
Start a month in advance. I don't care. <laughs> Prepare well ahead of time. And when it comes, you'll be in a much better state. If you come sliding into Pesach by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin, it's not going to be a great experience. You're not going to enjoy Pesach as much. Come into Shabbos slow. Come into Shabbos on a slow roll. Do some, read some Shira Shiram, some Song of Songs before Shabbos. Come in with some prayers. Come in with some psalms. Be ready half an hour before Shabbos. I know, you, but you're saying probably in your head, I can't do that. You know what Rosh Hashanah is not a day for? I can't. Rosh Hashanah is not a day for I can't because Rosh Hashanah is a day of creation. You get to pick what you're going to have. So don't start off the year with I can't. God, I wish I could enjoy Shabbos more, but I just can't. Don't do that. There's a story of a, the Tsar. is one time reviewing his troops. And there's a big parade ground and you've got all kinds of troops. You've got the cavalry, and you've got the artillery, and they've got their uniforms, and you've got the infantry, and they've got their uniforms. Everyone's buttons are shining, everyone's hats are perfect, everyone's boots are shining, and they're all standing at attention. And as the czar is passing in front of the infantry, in the infantry there was a person who was a rebel. He was part of a rebel separatist group, and he was going to martyr himself. He was going to kill the czar. And even if he got killed, he was ready. He was ready to sacrifice his life and be killed, but he was going to get the czar. So as the czar is passing through, suddenly this person in the infantry pulls out a pistol and is about to shoot the czar, when luckily one of the privates sitting right, right next to him notices this, and he vaults himself at the rebel, and he rips into him, and of course the, the guy's gun goes off and blows a hole through the soldier's arm. But he lands on top of him, and the czar is taken to safety, and they take this person, they clap him irons, they put him away, and they put the death. The czar comes to visit this young soldier, the private, in the, in the hospital. He's got a hole blown through his arm. And the czar says to the soldier, what can I do for you? You saved my life. What can I do for you? He says, look, czar, your honor, your excellency. He says, I don't know why my sergeant is being so mean to me. It's not fair. He makes me, like, clean the bathrooms all the time, and, like, He's so mean to me. Can you please tell my sergeant to stop being so mean to me? The czar starts laughing. He says, you got it, private. No problem. But by the way, you could have asked to be a general. (laughs) Is that really all you're asking for? You just saved my life. You can have whatever you want. Don't ask for, tell my sergeant not to be mean to me. Say, I want to be a general. No problem. You got it. Rosh Hashanah. It's not a day to go before God with I can't. It's a day to go before God and say, this is what I'm going to do this year. And I know that I'll have the energy to do it because I'm with you. And you've got infinite energy. And I'm powered by your soul. So I got this. Lastly, I mentioned this last year at one of my talks. And my daughter, I totally forgot about it. And Baruch Hashem, my daughter reminded me. Many people, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, they make a commitment that they're not going to speak Lashonar, they're not going to speak gossip for one hour a day, or whatever it is. Now, this year, I'm going to really remember, from 11 to 12 is my no Lashonara zone. And <laughs> most people attempt that. It's not usually a winning strategy. Let me give you a different idea. Commit to every day saying two or three things of Lashon Tov, of good speech. 
complimenting people. You see a parent, oh, I saw your son the other day. Wow, he's grown up. He looks great. You see somebody and you say, oh, you look great today. I love that new blouse. Looks really sharp. Say nice things to people. Say, oh, you don't understand. I heard, you, you know what that shul is doing? They're doing a special thing for people with, with wheelchairs. and It's amazing. Who's like the Jewish people? The Masil Sharm says, and I'm going to quote him, it's in the Parak Yutas, chapter 19 in the Masil Sharm, The Path of the Just. It's a beautiful song, too. Oh, hey, Hashem loves nobody like he loves someone who loves the Jewish people. The Jewish people are Hashem's children. And there's enough people talking smack about the Jews in the world. Hashem certainly doesn't, doesn't need us to ban, pile on the bandwagon. Oh, you know, the Jews from that community. Whatever. If you could even call them that. The Jews from that community, they hate everybody. Whoa. God doesn't need us talking bad about us. There's enough people talking bad about us out there. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God loves no one like someone who loves his children. The more a person makes their love for the Jewish people great, Gam HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Magdil Alav Hashem makes you great. If you're in it for his people, God makes you great. Be the kind of person who spreads the word about how great the Jewish people are. Spread stories that you hear. Find yourself saying the phrase, Wow, the Jews are just the most amazing people in the world. Find yourself saying it often and back it up with stories. You want stories? I'll tell you stories. I'll tell you two stories. It's one o'clock. You guys are welcome to go. If anyone has to go, no problem. But I got stories. I want to talk beautiful about the Jewish people. Story number one. There was an army base in Israel that organized, this story happened last year, they organized a Rosh Hashanah party for the soldiers. And at the party, to make it a little bit exciting, they decided that they were going to do a special raffle. What was the raffle going to be? There was 300 soldiers on the base. They said, everyone put in 50 shekels. We'll get together a number of 15,000 shekels. Now, 50 shekels is not a lot of money. It's like 12 bucks, 13 bucks. But 15,000 shekels is a lot of money. So everyone put in 50 shekels into the pot. And then we'll do a, uh, a raffle at the end. One person walks away with 15,000 shekels. That's life-changing money for a soldier who's living on minimum wage. So everyone does it. Everyone puts in the 50 shekels. Everyone writes their name down on a little piece of paper, and they put it into the box. Now, one of the soldiers was debating what to write on his card because he wanted to win. There was a soldier in the battalion who had recently been injured in one of their military operations, and he was going through a really difficult time. He had his leg all in a cast, and he wasn't sure if he'd ever be able to walk the same again. He's wheeling around the base in a wheelchair. So he said, you know what? What's the chance I'm going to win anyway? Let me give that guy two chances. So he writes that guy's name down. Okay? The whole evening of festivities and and a meal and everything. At the end of the meal... Everyone gets together and they got all the names in the big golden cage and everyone's all getting excited. 
And they got the music playing. And then the music stops and they pull out the name and they open up the name and who is it? It's Danny! It's the guy! It's the guy in the wheelchair! It's the guy who just got wounded! And the whole place goes crazy! They lift him up on their shoulders. Everyone is so happy that he won. At the end of the party, the soldier who wrote down the wounded soldier's name, he was cleaning up the hall. That was his job. So there on the stage is this golden cage with all these cards in it. And he just he was a little curious, so he takes a look. Every single card had the same name on it. Who is like the Jewish people? That's how you do it, by the way. I'm just showing you. I'm giving you a little, a little demonstration. That's how you do it. You tell a story, and then you follow it up with like an enthusiastic and excited. Who's like the Jewish people? Nobody. We're the most amazing people. The more you say that, Akarish Baruch says, I want to give this guy more success. He's talking good about my people. Let me tell you another story. And then we're calling it quits. <laughs> there was a man who lived through the Holocaust, and he didn't really talk about the Holocaust much. Many people who lived through the Holocaust didn't really like to talk about it, which is quite understandable. It was a trauma beyond understanding. Towards the end of his life, he knew that he didn't have much time, so he started telling his children over different stories. He told them over that one time... They were in the camps, and somehow he got a hard-boiled egg. Now, you have to understand, in Auschwitz, a hard-boiled egg was like, it was like, it was like a bag of diamonds. People there were dying of starvation every single day. And a hard-boiled egg, it's got proteins and, 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 and fats, and it's got, it's got everything. It's amazing. It's like a whole hard-boiled egg. You couldn't believe it. He said he's walking around with a hard-boiled egg and then he sees there was a rub there. There was a rabbi there from one of the communities and he sees that rabbi and he said, I saw that rabbi and I just knew he was going to die. Like, we knew. In the, we saw people die of starvation all the time. You could just tell when somebody was really on their last legs. They didn't have much time left. He said, I see this rabbi and I know he's, 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 he's got three hours max. So I made the decision, I'm going to give him my egg. But I knew that if I came to him and said, Rabbi, here, you look like you're not doing good, Let me, take this egg. He would, he would refuse it. He would say, Chas v'shalom, I'm not taking your egg. You need that egg. You need to live. You don't look good. You take the egg. He would never take it from me. So when we were working in the quarry, I kind of inched my way over there. And while he was busy working, I brushed up against him and I dropped the egg into his pocket. He tells him the story, and then he tells him a couple, you know, some words, told him the story, whatever it is, and then a, few, a year or two later, he passes away. A number of years later, the son of this man is at a shiva house. There was a Hasidic rabbi in Toronto who had many children. He came back, he had, after the war, he was a survivor, he came back and he built up a whole community. He had many children, there were a bunch of rabbis, amazing, amazing. And the patriarch, the Holocaust survivor, passed away. So this man goes to the Shiva. And everyone's sitting around and they're hearing stories. And one of the sons says, You know, my father used to always say that he had Gilu Elio Anavi. Elijah the prophet came to him in Auschwitz. I'm like, really? No way. He had G- Elijah the prophet came to him in Auschwitz? He said, yeah, here's what my father said. He said one day he was working and he was just, he was so starving, he was so weak, he just knew that he was going to die. 
And then Eliyahu just came and put an egg in his pocket. This man is sitting in the back and he gets up. He says, I know what Eliyahu looks like. Elijah is, is my father. <laughs> now I ask you, my friends, what's a bigger deal? For Elijah the prophet to miraculously give a guy an egg? Or for a starving human being to reach into his pocket and take out his most priceless pre- treasure and put it in somebody else's pocket, expecting no reward, no recognition? Which is a bigger miracle? Israel. Who is like the Jewish people? Nobody. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's review. Rosh Hashanah's coming up. Quiet quitting. Maybe, just maybe, we've quiet quit this year. I know that I have. Let's remember that it's all about the happiness. It's about where do you get your energy from? Do you plug in or do you plug down? Do you plug up or do you plug down? Where does your neshama get its sustenance from? Nefesh ruach, neshama chai yechida, which level of the soul? Let's remember that what does God want to see? He wants to see us happy. Happiness comes from being a more spiritual person. Oz v'chet v'mkomo in God's places, strength and joy. And letayva yivakesh nifrad, when a person's only going after whatever their physical desires are, it just gets lonelier and lonelier it's not a good place to be. And God wants us to see us happy. How do we be happy? Say that you're happy. Create with your speech. God created with His speech, and then He created you in His image. You create with your speech. Talk about how happy you are all the time. It works. How do I know? Because I do it all the time. You do it too. Tell me how it goes. Number three, n- next thing, don't run into mitzvahs. Be very far advanced, prepared, and then you come into it. You're joyful. It's easy. If you come skidding into a mitzvah, Shabbos, Sukkah, Pesach, whatever it is, you're not going to enjoy it. Davening, whatever it is, come spend some time ahead. Be there five minutes ahead. Come relaxed. And lastly, remember that God loves no one like He loves someone who loves the Jewish people. Be the person who's always singing the praise of the Jewish people, telling over the stories of their greatness, and then God will give you a great year because He wants to see you be successful at pumping His children. Ladies and gentlemen, have a Shana Tova Masuka. The good Lord should bless you with a year of good health, a year of success, a year of wealth, a year of happiness, happiness with your family, happiness with your friends, happiness with your community, a year in which you make a difference to the people around you and you feel it, a year in which God fulfills all of your prayers. Litova for goodness. Thank you for coming, thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.